that I spoke to you on a Sunday evening, which was two weeks ago. We looked together as a congregation at Jesus' interaction with the Sadducees. Do you remember that? We looked at something of the reality of uh, resurrection unto life, resurrection from the dead. We considered, I suppose, something of uh, what awaits the people of God in heaven. This evening, what I want us to do is actually rewind a little bit from that heavenly picture and to consider together the last day on earth, to consider together the final judgment of God. So I need to begin like this. I need to begin by asking you what you think of that idea. Like, what do you think of a day of judgment? Do do you think that that's a, a myth? Is that what you think? The day of judgment, is it, is it just a myth? Maybe a little bit more than that. Do you, do you think the day of judgment is a sort of a picture or a sort of, or a, or a, or a parable of what's, what might happen? Do you think maybe it's just a remnant of when preachers looked a bit more menacing than I do? You know, sort of behind the poop and spoke of a day of final reckoning? Is that all you think of when you think of a, a, a day of judgment? Is the day of judgment real? Is this real, this idea? And if you think it's real, on what basis are you going to be judged? Well, to think about tonight, we turn to Matthew chapter 25 and to what I think we should know as being the final sort of sustained portion of teaching that Jesus gives his disciples before he's arrested and taken away to be crucified. That sort of final sustained portion of teaching. So I ask you to please turn there, if you've not done so, have Matthew chapter 25 and these verses open in front of you. And tell you what, let's look at the first of three points tonight. Of three headings. First of all, let's think about the scene uh, uh, at the final judgment, the, the setting of all of this. Okay, what are we told? Okay, now, what, what we've got in front of us in this section is really the climax of a long, long crescendo that has been building up over the last few chapters. Jesus, in this portion of Matthew's Gospel, has been uh, speaking about what we call the parousia, Have you heard that term before? So he's talking here about his second coming. He's talking here, this section of Matthew's Gospel, about the end times. Now, if you've got your Bible open and you're looking at chapter 25, just skim over chapter 25, you'll see up until now, Jesus has been speaking in what? Look at chapter 25. He's been speaking in parables about the end times. Do you see it? What have you got there? You've got the the parable of the ten virgins. You've got then, after that, the parable of the talents. Ah, That's fine. What we have to get right is that the section that you and I are concentrating on tonight is not a parable. This is a, if you like, for us, it's a prophetic vision of the future. Do you know what you've got in front of you? You have got a description that comes from God. 
about the day that he will return to judge the earth. This is not a parable. This is not a myth. What we're looking at tonight, this is, this is real. And, and when we read this, man alive, what a scene! Come on! What a scene we are told about. What a scene is described here. Just look at it. Just try and picture this with me, will you? Like we are told, we've got the judge arriving on the final day and he is arriving in glory. But look at this, look at this. He is not alone, is he? Do you see it? He is accompanied in the skies on this day by all of his angels. You know, that vast multitude, that heavenly host that we are told about so many times in Scripture, they appear on this day with the judge. They surround him. They they appear alongside the judge. And then look at the judge's posture. He's seated. He's seated on a glorious throne. That same bright shining white throne that we are told about in the book of Revelation. And friends, do you see in this vision who is in front of the judge? Do you see this? We are told that he will gather on this day who? He will gather all of the nations before him. That this isn't for Israel. This is not just for that land. That this is a, this is for the whole world, that not just the living, but the dead as well, that the graves are going to give up their dead, that the seas are going to give up their dead, that all of humanity, including you, that we will all be gathered before this judge on this day. Do you see this? This is a grand and incredible picture we have here. But friends, what, what is it we are told is going to happen on this day? We're told, look at verse 32. We are told that the judge will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I've said before to you from the pulpit that I've got no idea about shepherding. A big letdown for you. You know, you, you get a, a Tuchter minister from, from, from Inverness and yet he still has no idea about sheep and shepherding. And I don't. But I do know what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the, the, the method of shepherding that was commonplace in Palestine in the first century. So what would happen is that the shepherds would allow their flocks, this is very important that we get this, they would allow their flocks to intermingle during the day. So the picture you've got is of sheep and goats grazing, intermingling, grazing together during the day. But towards the end of the day, things would have to change because these animals preferred different environments in which to sleep. So towards the end of the day, what the shepherds would have to do 
is go in amongst the flock and separate them. Grab the sheep, you know? Bring them over to one side. Go and grab the goats. Kick them over to the other side. And they would take the goats and they would lead them away to somewhere warmer where they wanted or needed to sleep. Now do you see that that is what Jesus is talking about here? And it's a fearful thought, is it, is it not? That on the day of judgment that there will be a separation. That on the day of judgment that there will be a division of mankind. That people who have lived all of their lives in each other's company that on that day that they will be separated. That some will be taken to the right hand side of the judge, the place of honour. That others will be taken to the left hand side, the place of curse. Do you see what a moment this is? Do you see what an, an event this is? But let me say to you, like, of course, you know, if you're following this, of course you see part of the reason for this. You see, okay, we are told about this partly as a warning, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a warning for those who are unrepentant and who don't accept Christ as Savior. We see that. But wait a minute. Wait. Do you remember who I said Jesus is speaking to at this point? Remember who I said that was? It's the disciples. Okay, now, why, when Jesus is just about to be led away and be arrested and taken to the cross, why would he choose this moment here to talk to his disciples about the day of judgment? Seems a bit odd, doesn't it? Friends, what he is doing is he is encouraging his people. He is encouraging his disciples. Now you ask, well, wait a minute. How, how could this picture of separation, how could this picture of the day of judgment, how could this encourage anyone? Well, friends, who have I not mentioned? Like I've spoken about angels and I've spoken about a throne and we've talked about the separation. Who have I not mentioned? The judge. And who are we told this judge is? Have a look at verse 31. Who is it? It is the Son of Man. It is not. The judge on this last day is not some sort of faceless angel of death. The judge on this day is not some unknown divine representative. No. The judge on this final day is Jesus It is the Son of God. Do you see how that would have encouraged Jesus' disciples? Do you see how that should encourage you if you're a Christian tonight? You see, the day of judgment is not something that should strike dread into the Christian heart. It is not something that we should be scared of. Why not? Why not? Because on that day, the one who is orchestrating all of these incredible events, he is our our saviour he is our saviour do you see what this means it means when on that day it is your turn to stand before the judge of all things when that spotlight is on you when your name is called and you have to stand before the judge do you know what will happen there will be 
recognition. He will look at you and he will surely smile. Why? He loves you. I mean, he loves you so much that he was willing to die that you did not have to face the misery that's here. I mean, do you see the encouragement in this? Do you? Jesus is saying, yes, the Christian life is hard. And yes, the, the Christian life is full of utter misery. But when all is said and done, and in the final reckoning of all things, the one who decides eternity, who is he? If you're a Christian, the one who decides eternity, he is your So we see the scene at the final judgment. Secondly, let's move on. Let's see, secondly, the, the righteous at the final judgment. The righteous at the final judgment. Here, I want us to think about the basis uh, for judgment on this day. Like, okay, we, we get it, don't we? We get the, the, the fact that there's a separation, that there's a division of humanity that occurs. But why? Like, on what basis are people divided? You know, if Jesus is moving some to the right, some to the left, on what basis does this happen? That's what I want to think of. Now, uh, throughout the centuries, what's happened is that people have taken Matthew 25 and the verses that we've read together, and they have used it as evidence for what is called salvation by works. You can see, you can see why they've used it as evidence for salvation by works, can you? Like, on, think about the picture that you've got in front of you. You have got uh, Jesus on the last day, and what is he doing? He is ushering people into heaven, and he is at the same time commending them for their acts, for their works. So people say, okay, right, what we need to be saved, what we need for entry into heaven, I've got to feed the hungry. I've got to do acts of charity, acts of compassion. That's how we're saved. Now, get this. What I'm going to say just now is that far from, from providing evidence for salvation by works, that actually this portion of Scripture here, that it provides evidence for something else, something greater, that it provides evidence for salvation by God's grace. And that's a thought, isn't it? You know, some people are saying evidence here for salvation by works. I'm not just saying there isn't evidence for salvation by works. I'm saying there's evidence here of salvation just by God's goodness, by his grace. So how does that work? How is it salvation by grace, this picture? Let me, let me, let me show you. Look in verse 34, will you? at how God addresses those who are saved. How does God address those who are saved in verse 34? He says to them, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Now, do, do you, wait a minute. Do you, you, you see the significance of that? So straight at the beginning there, come you who are blessed by my Father. So wait a minute, way before Jesus has even assessed these people's works, 
We before he is looked and considered their actions, before this happens, Christ says, come, you who have been, you who are blessed by God the Father. Do you see? Salvation, entry in heaven is not about feeding the hungry. It's not about clothing the needy. It's about receiving favor, blessing from God. This is salvation by more than that, you want further evidence. Note how the saved are said to have received their heavenly future. How does it come to them? Verse 34. How do they receive this heavenly future? They have inherited it. Okay, here's the, here's, here's the scenario. It's quite a morbid scenario, actually. Your, let's say your grandmother dies. A couple of days later, the phone goes, and it is your grandfather. You've had the funeral. He, he, he phones you up, and he asks you to come round. You go round. It's quite, obviously quite a somber affair. You sit with your grandfather, and he passes you a box, small box, and you open it up, and it is your grandmother's wedding ring. And he says to you, he says, she loved you. She loved you. She's written this into her will. She wanted you to have this this is your inheritance. Now, can you imagine you turned around to your grandfather at that point and said, I deserve this. I've earned this by being a good guy. I have achieved this. If your grandfather said anything like my grandfather was, you'd get a clog around the, the head. Why? Because an inheritance is not something that we earn. An inheritance is not something that we merit or achieve, is it? An inheritance is always something that is freely bestowed upon us. Do you see the the point? When Jesus says here to these people who are saved, he says, come people, come and receive your inheritance. We are seeing that this heavenly future isn't because we've been good or that we've done the right things. We are seeing that it's something that has come out of God's goodness. And then note what Jesus says about the inheritance. What does he say? He says that your inheritance as a Christian is what? It is something prepared since the creation of the world. Surely that's, surely that is the clincher. Surely that blows salvation by works out of the water. I mean, how could our inheritance, our heavenly future be something attained by works if it is something that God has prepared for us before the creation of the world. It doesn't make sense. Friends, salvation is not by what we do. It is not by our actions. What we're seeing here is that salvation is by God's free, glorious, precious Grace is by grace. And you say fine to that. There's still a problem. Is there not a problem? We still have Matthew 25, Jesus Christ on the day of judgment. And he's still looking at his people. And he's still speaking to them about their works. What's going on here? 
Well, friends, what we've got in these works is not, as we've seen, the basis for our salvation. But what we have in these works is the evidence that we are saved. The evidence that we're saved. Do you see what I mean? These works that Jesus mentions here, do you see them? You know, this uh, feeding the hungry, clothing the needing. They are not what saves a person, but they are the verification. They are the authentication that we have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, see when we work that out? That is something that should knock us for six as a congregation. Because what we're seeing there is that the the genuine test of whether we are truly saved or not is whether we have an active compassion for the people of God. Jesus says here, whatever you do for the least of my brothers. Do you see it? The litmus test of whether we have a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is whether we are engaged and active in serving our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I have to ask you, hear me on this, I have to ask you, does this sound like you? When you hear about all of this compassion and uh, helping the needy, caring for the sick, does that sound like it's a, a mirror being held up to London City Presbyterian Church, does it? Does it sound like you? These acts of compassion, does it sound like you? Because if not... If these acts of compassion towards brothers and sisters in Christ, if that sounds alien to you, you ready for this? I have to ask you, are you really saved? Are you really a believer? Because what we we see here is that a genuine faith A genuine work of grace by God in your heart. It should propel us into the service of each other. Friends, I think we we read these verses and I think we should rejoice that God would save anyone by his grace. But I think we should be left desperate to care for each other. Not just because we learn that on the day of judgment, our Lord will look at us and he will assess how we have acted as Christians. He will judge that on the last day. Not just that. But we're seeing here that in God's eyes, our acts of service to each other, they are actually acts of service towards Jesus Christ himself. So the righteous on the final judgment. Last thing. Let's consider the condemned at the final judgment. This has haunted me. (laughs) Uh, I was away in America during the week and every day I've been thinking about this last point. Rarely, if ever, do I stand in front of you and have to speak about something that is so 
a solemn? Uh, because here we have to uh, consider the reality of eternal damnation. It's here in the text. We must deal with it. So first of all, I need you to notice the secondary separation that will happen on this final day. Do you see the secondary separation? We're told that not only will those who are condemned, not only will they be separated from the Christians that they know and love, but we are told that on that day that they will hear the voice of Jesus say to them, Depart from me, you who are cursed. You see that? The the catastrophe of this, the catastrophe of the day of judgment is supremely the sending away of the unrepentant from, from whom? From a God of goodness. From the presence of a God of grace. And do you see To where it is that they are sent. Look at verse 41. The condemned are to depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil. That as in Revelation and as in numerous instances in Scripture, that the ultimate destination of those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ is a furnace, it is a lake of fire, it is a place so... Uh, horrific, so fearful that it is the final abode of Satan and evil itself. And because of that, maybe you say to me tonight, as someone who isn't a Christian here, someone who is not born again, you say, I don't deserve this. You know? I, I don't, I don't, this is hell you're talking about. I don't deserve hell. I've done works of compassion and I've done more charity work than the rest of this congregation put together. And I've done decent things. I'm community minded. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve hell. Well, friend, please see that the judgment that you face on this last day, it isn't because of or on the basis of the good things that you do is because of what you haven't done that displays a lack of love for Jesus Christ himself. That really and truly that is what the day of judgment is all about. That it is simply Jesus turning away from those who have throughout their whole life turned on him. That it is Jesus unhappily rejecting those who have from the day they were born to the day they have died rejected Jesus, rejected what he has done in coming to earth and dying so that they would not have to face this misery. Do you see it? I have to finish with the, 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 the obvious, obvious, obvious question. I was thinking about this earlier, and I have to say this, that on this day, that is real, and it is happening, and it is coming, 
not all of LCPC is going to go to the same place. Not all of us will be on one side of the throne of grace. That some of us will be put to the left-hand side in that place of cursing. That's real. I have to ask you, as it stands just now, is that going to be you? Are you going to be on the left-hand side? Are you going to be condemned by God? Or do you see that though he comes here in the skies, do you see that he has come in a stable? Do you see that though he comes here and he will come in majesty and glory, that he has come before in weakness and poverty? Do you see that? Do you see that though he comes and he will come to judge that previously he has come to save? And do you see and do you know and do you realize that though here he will come, because he has to, he is just, he will come to hand out judgment. That previously he came, he lived this perfect life, and he took this judgment upon himself. Why? So that you might live. So that you might be free from this. So that you might not endure this. Do you see that? Do you see what has been done for you? Do you believe in this grace? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, friends, though I tell you this, you do not deserve it. Because of what he's done for you, on that day, with tenderness and with gentleness, he will look at you. And he will see you, and he will see you as friend. And he will usher you to his right-hand side, a place of peace, though you don't deserve it. A place of absolute joy, though you don't deserve it. And a place from which you never, ever will be moved. Are you a Christian? If so, let these verses spur you on to compassion for your brothers and sisters. Because if you love them, what we're seeing here, you are showing love to the Lord Jesus Christ. And given what he has done, given that he has taken this punishment that was coming to you, surely that should be the desire of all of our hearts. Let's pray.